You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers Initiative. And with me, as he is always, to talk about the somewhat assembled, possibly maybe they're coming back Avengers, is John Mills. West Coast Avengers phase. That's where we're at right now. We're assembling the (laughs) West Coast Avengers. It's very true. Uh, That's uh, what it feels like. It does. It really, really does. And it's... um, you know, it's it's been an interesting ride, that's for sure. Everybody's been documenting this uh, along because this is my first time through Phase Four. So here we are. Where are we, Matt? Where did we Where did we end up? What's the exciting chapter this week? Well, this week uh, we are going to be discussing the one and only Hawkeye. But maybe there's more than one Hawkeye. Uh, so very excited to be doing that. Uh, but before we dive into the show, of course, as always, we're just so excited that you are here and that you are listening. Uh, you can help us out by, uh, subscribing wherever you're getting your podcasts and you'll get the entire feed here of the 602 Club, which has not only the main show, but also Snyder Cuts as well as Assembling Avengers. You can also, um, help us out with a star rating review over on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Make sure that other people find the show. Uh, we we love what we do here, but we'd love other people to find it as well. So please check us out there. Uh, and, of course, you can find us on social media. We'd love to interact with you over at the 602 Club on Twitter. And we're also on Instagram at 602 Club TFM. You can find us online at Trek.fm. We've got the entire network at, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Trek.fm. You can also find our listeners-only discussion group, which allows you to talk to listeners from all over the world, which is really cool. Uh, we hope you'll join that. It's called the Babel Conference, and you can uh, join that just by typing Babel in the search field there on Facebook, and you will find us, and you can get let in. And last but not least, maybe you would like to send us an email, and you can do that over on the contact section of the website at track.fm. Of course, one more thing that, that is absolutely important uh, and and very something I hope that nobody misses, which is I please go over to Patreon at patreon.com slash trekfm, become a supporter of the network. Uh we can't do this alone. It's it's costs a lot, honestly, uh to put those all together. And we need listeners just like you to make that happen. So again, go to patreon.com slash trekfm and become part of our team. So, John, uh, I think the most important question to be asked uh, when it comes to this uh, is uh, how excited are you for Rogers, the musical? Oh, yes. I thought that was very cute. And I think it underscored something that I think is really important as we've gone through and we're watching phase four, especially these Disney Plus shows. Rogers, the musical and specifically its place within Hawkeye simply reinforces my view that this should have been the first show out of the gate. Um, if I were a producer, I would have been the one yelling and banging on a table saying, no, 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 this is the one, this is the one to lead with. 
And, um, you know, I think that Rogers, the musical is a cheeky, fun thing and a dangerous joke for Marvel to make, given the history that we all know with the Spider-Man musical. So I don't know. I don't know if they're being self-deprecating or if they're taking a shot at Sony on that one, uh, because Rogers, the musical is something I could believe would exist. So, uh, no, I, I think you definitely have a point there. And, you know, I, I thought the funniest thing about that was just how realistic it felt, uh, because you just know that this is exactly what would happen is that somebody would create a musical on this. The, the people love creating these type of musicals. And, and, and so I remember seeing this uh, series for the first time and just thinking to myself, this is this, what a great joke because it's a joke on us, the way that we take these things and we turn them into things to which we're able to find a way to digest. Right. Um, you know, because what happened to everybody was so over the top and unexplainable, right? And so is everything that's been happening since Iron Man came on the scene in many ways. Uh, this is the way in which I think human beings for a lot of our history have tried to find a way to make sense of things that we have a hard time making sense of. And so I do actually really like this idea I, I and like you said i think it's it's very cheeky it's funny uh and um you know i don't want to watch the entire musical and i don't even want to watch the uh you know the whole song that they did at the end of the the, the last episode but i think this was really well done and very funny and, but but this is this is something that i find intriguing and i would love to sit down with uh the directors and producers of this show and ask them if they intended to, there, there is very much a uh, a self-referential, but also a self-mocking side to this. And what that is, is this is the reason, another reason I think this should have been the first, and I think Rogers the Musical underscores it, is Rogers the Musical does what you're talking about, where, you know, it's making light of what is truly like a mind-blowing traumatic experience for everybody but the heroes won, so we we do a big showy musical about it. But at mm -hmm. the same time, that showy musical is the cotton candy packaging of the event, the first Avengers movie, and what took the world by storm. And then the layering of Hawkeye's story is a much more, if you'll forgive me for using the term, and this will make some people pull out their teeth and throw them at at their listening devices right now. But it what's happening with Hawkeye is a very Snyder-esque look at what happened. And this is something we've come back to repeatedly since Civil War of this was actually a traumatic, terrible thing that happened and people lost their lives and people had terrible stuff. We just didn't pay attention to it in that movie. And so Marvel got known for basically like the big budget. Oh, but everybody did okay sort of thing. And so I think it underscores that, that dichotomy right there where, we we're exposed to this musical as we're exposed to Clint, who is a he, you know, he's got PTSD. He's he's a war vet and he's having a hard time watching the world be okay with what happened to him. Yeah, I think I think that's that's an excellent point, you know. Um and, and you know, you made the comment and i think you know in every way 
uh, you are a hundred percent correct that you know that this this just should have been the first thing out of the gate, and, and I think you know uh, you're right in calling that out because this is exactly um, the type of thing that I think makes Endgame and the aftermath of Endgame feel so real because this is a like you said in a lot of ways this has. And yes, there are plenty of like jokes and funniness to the series. You know, it's not like they they let any of that go. Um, but I think it's all based in, and this whole thing is based really in the the pain that so many people are going through from the aspect of what happened during the blip, what's happened since the first Avengers movie. Uh, you know, we have that with Kate dealing with that, with the loss of her father, uh, you know, and, and then, I mean, this show really is, like you said, about the PTSD of Hawkeye and everything that he's gone through. I mean, we even allow the character to show the wear and tear of the years. You know, it's not the years, honey, it's the mileage. And the character of Hawkeye has so much mileage on him that his body shows it. He can't hear well out of one ear. Uh, you know, his his body uh, has things that have never quite healed correctly. Um, and that doesn't even count the idea of the emotional scarring that he's been through as he's lost friends and, of course, lost his very best friend uh, in Natasha. And I think, you know, in many ways, too... Black Widow, obviously, the film, wanted to be able to pay homage to this character. But this is the show that really pays homage to that character by showing just how she, how much she meant, not only to Clint, but also to Elena, right? And I think this does a much better job of, of that. And so, you know, again, I think you're – I really love that, that we're kind of like – talking about right at the beginning what makes this show i think so impactful as a viewer especially someone who you know both you and i we've been watching the marvel cinematic universe from the beginning and this is the first thing i felt like personally after endgame where i was like oh Mm -hmm. This is legitimately something that grabs my interest and I think follows up on Endgame in a way that truly legitimizes doing something more after that. Yes. The the release order for these shows, having gone through them now, and Loki's sort of a, an outlier. I don't know exactly where I'd place Loki, but think of I, I think of it this way. If I were releasing it or if I did a rewatch order, I wouldn't do in release order. I would take Hawkeye after Endgame. Then I would go into Falcon and the Winter Soldier because you have an Avenger himself and your touch point is Rogers the musical. So you're instantly seeing how difficult it is for somebody who is there at the front lines to adjust to it. He's retired. He's out of it and how tough it is to adjust back to normal life. But your touch point still is that we see now the world is understanding it all through the lens of Steve Rogers and forgetting the other people. Then you have Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which again is all about Steve Rogers and him being gone. It's not about Tony being gone. It's about Steve Rogers being gone. And so you have then this global thing. And then you graduate into WandaVision 
which is sort of this uh, reality bending impact of everything that happened. So like it has more of a sense of um, scale growing as it goes, because, you know, like Endgame is literally the fate of the universe. And so I think it would have made more sense as that that breather to come back to it and have a smaller scale thing like that. I mean, not that this is like small scale, quote unquote, but like a smaller scale sort of thing. Right. This is, this is an Iron Man three vibe. It's at Christmas. We have a hero who's doubting himself. We have a kid who believes in him, who gives him his faith back. We have this uh, wacky conspiracy that they're trying to stay ahead of. We have, uh, you know, a villain in the shadows that doesn't get revealed until the final act. You know, that I, I'm willing to bet that's probably why I reacted so well to it. But, I, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, what you're touching on with also the side characters, because I, I think the side characters are what makes this work as well as it does. Because the side characters here really felt developed and interesting to me. I came here for Hawkeye. And I stayed here for all of the characters around him, whether it was yeah. Jack, whether it was the mom, whether it was um, – and you, you'll forgive me, what, Maya, right? Yep. I thought Maya was a legitimately interesting character. I also thought Maya was a great way to bring in somebody uh, with, with uh, hearing – you know, w- without hearing and work that in organically to yes. everything. And it felt – natural and real uh as opposed to a story note to say oh well we need something in here it's like this character felt she felt like she existed right and um that that's the thing it's like all the way down to the small all the way down to armand yeah it felt like these people existed in a world that was real that was there it if anything it's important for those characters to work as well as they do because it reroutes the Marvel universe as occurring in quote unquote our world. It's not an else world. This is quote unquote our world. I believe I could live with these people around me. Yeah, I, I think that's that's a, a really good point. Um, you know, this I think one of the things that the Marvel Cinematic Universe had done so well and in, in so much of it was to create this ability to feel like uh, the characters that were being introduced were ones that, even even on the side, uh, that you could be invested in, or or then you could even think to yourself, "Well, I, you know, I think I would like to see more of that character. I, I hope that that they they do more with that character. You know, this this seems like it would be." worth following their story to see what happens to them and and so you know when you get a character like a Maya or a Jack and again I think I think that's the thing that also made this interesting to me too was you know the side characters I think don't um they don't feel just one note, um, you know, it, like, like I, I think Jack is a great example of that in the sense that you have this character who, um, could have easily become the villain, right? We could have continued with that trend and, 
Uh, mm-hmm. We could have made him the villain. And yet what we do is we we utilize him in a way that is a decoy uh, for everything else that's that's happening. And I think that's that's just kind of genius, right? Like, I think that's exactly what you want in, in this series because you do want, I think, the uh, ability to not quite know what's going on and to be second guessing all the time and be wondering, am I on the right track? Because that's, that's also plays really well with the character of who Clint Barton is in the first place. The fact that he is this kind of, you know, he's a spy, right? And, and nothing in his life is easy to understand or make sense uh, right away. And so uh, to have these type of, of side characters to which you're not quite sure how they're all connected, um, but we are going to find a way to actually connect them all in the end, and it is going to make sense, and you just got to trust us with the ride. And that, to me, was the thing about this show that really, I think, has stuck with me. And and I've rewatched this show now uh, a few times, and um, in that rewatching. Like I'm, I'm still enjoying the mystery that comes every time I watch the season, the series. Uh, I'm still enjoying watching all the reveals as they happen uh, because I pick up on um, a new little nuance every single time that I watch the show. And uh, to me, that's 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 a again. This is just great, uh, you know, Marvel television in that sense. Like I. I think I I just I found myself responding to this show in a way that I hadn't responded to any other Marvel show that had come before this and and I think that's just because and and I think you pinpointed it you know it's just that on every front the writing is good and mm-hmm. that I, I guess the question I, I come up with on that, like, okay, so we're we're talking about the idea. We think the writing is good here. We feel like they've done a really good job. What is it about the writing then do you feel like that sets this apart from, you know, the writing of the other shows? Like, what did they do here that, I don't know, what did, what did they do here, John, that, that that made this one work for us at this point as we're talking about it so much better than, than the others? Uh, they told a story that had to do with the characters instead of shoehorning the characters into plot advancement. Simple as that. That's the trap Marvel fell into. Was And I, th- this is the phrase that I've used repeatedly, is they, and they're still in this trap movie-wise, is making bullet point movies doesn't really matter whether it's good or not. You just need the bullet points so you can get to the next one. So even if you don't like it, you'll get your dopamine rush of knowing that the next one is coming. So like you sit through an Eternals and it's like, okay, but you know, I got some bullet points and I heard Blade at the end. Cool. Okay. Okay. I have to remember that part to come forward. With this, this is all, this is contained. This story has to do with Clint Barton. The story has to do with Kate Bishop. That's what it has to do with and their, their role within it. I think that's what makes this function uh better i think that you know it, it's so it's so dismissive to say better writing i will say that this is more functional writing this is writing that makes more sense because of the fact that each you know everything that happens is the characters going on a journey and it 
earns the reveal at the end of the kingpin being there. Because when the kingpin is revealed at the end, I look, I, I'm not saying I'm just used to these types of shows. So I I had said early on, I, I was like, oh, Jack's not really the guy. It's, the mom's going to be involved somehow. And the mom wound up being involved. But then when she walked in and there's kingpin, I was like, oh, yeah. You know, like that. I haven't had a reaction like that to a Marvel reveal or a bullet point, if you will, in a long time. And so to sit there and have that that little thrill of that's the guy, that's the character that I want to see again. That's the plot point that I didn't see coming. I didn't see that Kingpin was going to be involved in this, but Kingpin being involved in this organically brings it into the larger tapestry of Marvel and brings back something I had great affection for, which is the daredevil series, you know, like there's, there's a beautiful sort of, you know, intertwining of everything there that just works more organically. And it's because the entire show Maya has a journey to go on through this. It's not just, we are going to get you to the next property. There is Clint's got to work his stuff out. Kate's got to grow up. Kingpin's got to be taken down a peg. Maya's got to work her stuff out and let go of her dad. Like everybody has this interesting arc to go through. And, um, you know, and even to an extent, Jack's got to grow up. He's, he's a man child, but he's got to grow up a little bit by the end and, you know, put his, uh, his actual skills to good use for everybody. So I, you know, I'm tipping my hand. I have tremendous affection for the character of Jack specifically because of how they treated him in the last episode. It would have been so easy to toss him aside and have him be just a cheap joke, but to have him actually come in there and be useful and help, I thought was such, that was one of the most wonderful reversals of the show. No, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I was obviously a huge fan of that, um, and and partly because, you know, they, I think they do just such a good job of of making the character worthwhile, you know, um, they, they legitimize, um, having spent time with this character, uh, because, you know, he is interesting. Uh, he, he does have something I think to offer, um, the, the show and, um, because of that, uh, I think, yeah, I would. I guess I was just really struck by what you said. It's like it would have been so easy to um, use him as a decoy and and then just kind of forget that he existed, um, or just to not develop him anymore and not really give him anything else to do. But but like you said, you know, the fact that we take this character and we utilize him in a way that not only matters for the story, but then also matters for the character and 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 making him just a more interesting character um because we don't forget about him because we uh don't just pretend like um there isn't any room for this character to grow is awesome i and and i think you know just speaking of the writing from my own perspective then you know for the question i had asked you i think i think one of the things that you really hit on and I love that you did because it's exactly how I felt watching this show was the fact that they were telling the story from the perspective of characters first. 
And so therefore, everything that happens in the story has to make sense for the characters themselves. And it can't just be, oh, oh, wouldn't it be cool if, you know, um, this has to make sense for for these characters and the entire arc of the story that we've been telling through all of the 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 episodes. And I think they they did that wonderfully. Um, and it's not just for Hawkeye. It's not just for Kate, but it's all of the characters that you mentioned the character of Echo who is Maya, and she'll become a hero later on. Um, she's the, the Marvel hero Echo. And what a fascinating story to tell and to realize that, you know, she is impacted by something that we learned about from, you know, Endgame is the fact that, you know, during the blip, Clint Barton had gone kind of nuts from losing his family and he took his his revenge out on the criminal underworld and he didn't care who got hurt because of it he just wanted to hurt people because he was hurting and so then the repercussions of that allow us to then tell the backstory for this character Maya and it's it's not just in service of Clint, but he becomes in service of of this character. And mm-hmm. then the arc that she goes on is she learns everything that she learns that you know the fact that Kingpin was the one who actually uh, you know leaked the information so that Ronan would hit her father uh, and kill him. Mm-hmm. And she learns the depth of this organization to which she had been beholden after the death of her father, thinking that it was her quote-unquote family, and realizing that she's been utterly betrayed. And like that is just a great story. It's excellent writing because there's such depth there, and there's such depth there in, you know, what she probably has... Out of the six episodes, right, her storyline probably amounts to maybe 30 minutes. But that's an incredible amount of story detail for that character. And and in many ways, I think more so than we got for many of the MCU characters. Uh, and it's, I, I think this is why there's a, there's such a positive spin here as we're talking for us is because this is really about trying to introduce characters in the way that I think the Marvel Cinematic Universe started with. Yes. Which is, you know, I think phase one and phase two for both of us in many ways was the one, the the Marvel movies that we praised were the ones that really, that did a fantastic job of introducing us to the characters in a way that made sense and felt fulfilling for the character. And then the places where we had trouble was the place where, like you said, they were trying to plug in play. You know, Mm -hmm. we're going to plug this in because you need to know it. Hence why we liked Iron Man 1 and Iron Man 3, but not Iron Man 2. That is correct. Yes. And so... This is, I think this is the first time, you know, we, we enjoyed the Loki series, 
But I know for me, this was the first time in phase four where I really felt like they had hit, I guess I'll spoil my my thoughts here, but they had really hit a home run. Um, yeah. And 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 that's that's kind of weird to think that, you know, we've been in phase four for a while now, and this is the first time where you're like, you kind of want to stand up and cheer. It, it's it, it would be easy to have too strong a reaction to this coming through the fog of everything I've sat through for phase four up to this point, because, <laughs> you know, hey, if this is your first time joining us. Haven't been nuts about phase four, everyone. Um, and it is uh, this is definitely. It, it would be easy to to heap too much praise uh, on the series. And that's the thing is. This is definitely one where all of the positives are such that it would make me come back to it before other stuff that would be, you know, quote unquote, rated higher. You know, like when uh, when we when we suss out where this sits in our rankings for everything, this is one of those ones where, you know, even though Letterboxd still won't let me uh, put what if the series on here, I, I don't know why, but this is one of those ones where even though I might think that it needed to move a little bit faster here and there, right? Like I prefer series that don't feel obligated to be of specific length for their episodes. Sure. If it's it, like the Mandalorian, if 20 minutes is all you need to tell, that's how long the chapter is. And this felt a little bit further on the other end of the scale. I know not every episode was the exact same length, but this felt a little bit, more on the lines of, oh, we got it. We got to kind of hit a, an hour, guys. And it's like, you know, I, I again, I know that the the episode lengths varied and everything, but it felt like there were moments where, you know, maybe the gas pedal could have been pressed a little sure. bit more, while at the same time saying, as I break it down in my head, the chapter breaks make a lot of sense. So there isn't any right. chapter, like say in Falcon and Winter Soldier. I look at that and I'm like, that could have been. You could have cut two episodes out of that, and I'll tell you everything you could have cut, and we would have gotten there much faster. And I look at WandaVision, I'm like, oh, that could have been – you could have combined these things. You could have moved this around. You could have done this. It would have been a lot quicker, a lot less painful. This one, I'm like, no, the chapters are right. You got the chapters right. It's just here and there where I think you could have tightened it up a little bit. Yeah, I can definitely understand that, and I think, you know – Especially when we are watching these shows where there's <laughs> this season-long arc, um, I do feel like in many ways that a lot of the shows that, that we see these days, there's always a little bit of tightening, you feel like, that could happen. But I think you're right, and and I am right there with you, that there's nothing about this season that makes me kind of stand up and feel like it's egregious that where you're really kind of groaning, which happens many times. I would say specifically when I watch uh, shows on Netflix, where there's many times I'm watching those shows and thinking to myself, why in the heck is this episode even here? And that Mm -hmm. doesn't happen at all in this season. In fact, you know, um, I was thinking of, the penultimate episode of this season, which is uh, gives you that opportunity to have a, a just a, a little bit of downtime, 
and, mm-hmm. and a little bit of introspection for the characters and a little bit of quietness before we hit the big finale because the finale episode really has a lot of action in it. And I was like, this is this is very smart the way that they are editing this and thinking about setting up the finale. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I'm... I, you know, I'm right what, there with you. There's probably some things I would, you know, maybe cut or, or maybe a trim a little bit here and there. But on a whole, I find myself at, yeah. this is like my third rewatch of this season, the, this series. Um, I'm very happy with it and in, in, in what in the way it presents itself. Yeah. When I'm talking about the trims, I'm talking about like when they're in the car chase. That felt a little long in the tooth. I'm like, okay, sure, sure. let's let's tighten this up here. Like we, yeah. we could get to the point a lot quicker here. But to your point about the second to last episode, Ronan, it functions as a th- – that would have been a season finale for so many other shows. That would have been the finale. Maya goes off. She's questioning things. We don't know where the characters are going. Uh, Clint feels r- reasonably resolved with things, and we could have added a you know a couple of minutes and then been like, okay, maybe we'll have a season two. But we could – it's not the most satisfying, but it could have ended here. And that's, I think, the that is the um the 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 strength of of the show is that it knows when to end it and it knows when to give you more. And I I, I know that sounds right. really but it's um it's a, it it is just that that knowing which beats to hit and how to hit them. Mm-hmm. And there are so many shows that this one is done. I don't expect a season two. There's probably one in development for all I know, but I am named to me the last time you watched a show and you watched season one and you said, I don't need anything else. Yeah. This was the story. I can walk away clean. I don't need anything else after this. I am happy with where they left it. And I think a large part of that is because the fifth episode feels like where a lot of places would have called it quits so that they could have had season two. But this wisely has episode number six that has the big action Mm -hmm. resolution of everything, even though it feels more like a denouement because everybody's gone on the important part of their arc right? by this point. And this is the wrap up. So right. Well, and, yeah, it's and, good. Good rhythm. In the finale, the last arc too that you're going to wrap up is Elena's and her beef with Clint. Yeah, and so that allows you to be able to do that. But I, I got a question then for you. you. You mentioned the action a couple of times, and uh, I wanted to know how you felt about the action in the show. You know, on any time you're doing a, a season like this of television, it can be difficult to to do what the MCU wants to do with its shows, which is to create action as big and vibrant as what you put in the films. Um, do you feel like f- that this show does a good job with that? Or do you feel like there were places where it showed the seams too much? There were moments in a couple of things that, you know what, let's go back and let's let's ding that penultimate episode. The parking lot fight between... Barton and Maya tried a little bit too hard to use camera movement and editing to put an energy into it that wasn't natively there. 
which is not to knock the choreography or the performances or anything like that. But during those moments, it was a little bit too much. Oh, I'm going to cut and move really fast and then contrast that with where I think the show excelled would have been. And I'm probably going to butcher the first name. It's either it's, it's is it Reese Thomas, Rice Thomas, R-H-Y-S with, uh, with, with, with Thomas, the, you look at the direction of the fight scene between um, Elena and Kate in that last episode where the camera is moving along and you're seeing them go through room to room to room. Right. And it's a witty and it's a quick and it's a well-paced fight and it's got a great sense of pace and place and direction and movement and flow. So I would say, you know, that's a really long-winded way to say that I think overall the action was handled really well. Um, there were moments where it wasn't handled as well, but it was handled really well mm-hmm. overall. Yeah. You know, I, I'm, I think there with you. Um, and I want to actually praise something in that you felt like maybe went a little long, but you know, I was actually really impressed with the car chase scene. Uh, and mm. how good it looked for the most part, especially knowing that this is, you know, a television show budget. And uh, yeah, I know it's the MCU, but they've struggled mightily with effects even on, uh, you know, their shows as well as their films. And this is a place where I felt like they did a great job of creating something that was a lot of fun, had a lot of energy and yes, it might have gone on a little long, but I never found myself bored with it. And, you know, uh, then some of the gags they do with the arrows were pretty funny. And so, yeah, they were, you know, uh, and of course, the fact that he can't hear her and all that stuff, you know, I, I just the whole thing was, was great. But on a whole, I mean, I would say, too, when it comes to the shows that we've done. I think that this probably has the best action scenes in it. Um, and part of that is that there are a lot of great fight scenes. Um, I think m- all of them, to me, were really well choreographed and fun. I think of the one in the abandoned toy store uh, was great uh, as oh, well. Yeah. It was just, I mean, just fantastic. It, it, again, there's the, the energy of it is, is great. Um, and so, to me, I, I find myself just every time I've seen this show, being impressed with the work that they put into making sure, especially that our characters like an Echo, a Clint, or a Kate, all have great and interesting fight styles that kind of come across on screen very well um, and are fun to watch. Yes. Uh, overall, I like, yeah, again, again I, I still think the car chase could have been shorter. I still think the parking lot fight in the fifth episode was a little janky. But yes, overall, I uh, agree about that. I, I have a question, though, because um, I am a fan of the comics. I, you know, I, I don't have a, the, the big in-depth knowledge that others would have. But the kingpin I saw at the end of the sixth episode is the kingpin I read in the comic books. The one where you would shoot him with an arrow or you'd try to knock and he just would shrug it off and it was creepy. It was freaky how tough mm-hmm. he was. Right. And he, you know, he would crush people's heads with his bare hands and everything. Um, 
when he is tossing her around and they're fighting, I thought that that was a really excellent use of Kingpin's character and showing difference in fighting style. That sometimes, no matter how well you're trained, you're going to meet that immovable object that's just going to... It doesn't matter how well Kate Bishop can fight. She's going to get tossed around. Did that play well for somebody who doesn't expect that from Kingpin? Uh, you know, like, like I, I know that you and I have different levels of, you know, knowledge of the character in, in the comics and everything. But, like, that's exactly how I envision Kingpin fighting in, in, in the context of this series. Did that work for you or did that feel too cartoonish? I mean, I think that the MCU and its portrayal here does shoot itself in the foot a little bit because we had already created the Daredevil series and that was supposed to be a part of the MCU and that this version of the Kingpin feels slightly different than that version of the Kingpin, especially when it comes to his strength ability. Uh, and so, I mean, I went with it in this series, um, but again, I think that the MCU has mishandled everything that it did with the, the Netflix series that it created, uh, and the fact that, you know, in many ways we're kind of disregarding them. Um, you know, we're, we're using characters from there, but we're basically going to say they were in another universe, uh, which is really frustrating because, you know, in, in all honesty, the Daredevil series seasons one through three were some of the best things that had been in the quote unquote MCU up to this point. Uh, and now they're gone. So no, I, I mean, I didn't have too much of a problem with it other than that fact. I thought it was great we were bringing back Kingpin. I thought they did a gr excellent job with, you know, utilizing uh, the character. Um, obviously feels very familiar, uh, and I, I felt like true to who the character is, which is a guy that you absolutely do not want to cross. Um, and, you know, very interesting to leave it at the end of the series where he's been shot, uh, and most likely got shot in the head because, you know, Maya's not going to miss a headshot from, from that point. And why wouldn't you shoot him in the head? Um, and so how he survives that and all is going to be fascinating, but no, I loved the introduction of the character and I thought he was really well done. Um, I think it's just the behind the scenes stuff that, hurts it it has nothing to do with that what was actually on screen okay see in, in my brain i i'm i'm with you about the point blank shot i don't know how they get out of that unless you know we find out that he moved really quick and he, he you know he knocked the gun or something <laughs> yeah. like that. like they're, they're i mean they're gonna have to do something like that you know or um, it could just be i mean i feel like in the care i feel like i read in the comics that he had been shot in the head before and survived. So, you know, I, again, it's the comics and, and of course nobody stays dead in the MCU anyway. So, uh, you know, except for Natasha. And so, um, I, I'm, I will not be surprised if, um, you know, of course he, he doesn't stay dead, you know? Um, 
I, I wanted to I wanted to ask you about Haley Steinfeld as Kate Bishop and introducing this character and the story here for her. Uh, how did you react and and what did you think of her and the character? And, and is this a character that you're thinking, oh man, I want to see more from this character now. I want to see, um, you know, I feel like she belongs in a movie for the MCU. That's always tricky, isn't it? You know, quote unquote, the, the, the movie worthy test. Would I want to see a movie with this central character? I don't know. I don't know. I honestly don't know. Um, I like the character enough. But if you say to me, I'd have to pay $15 for a movie around the character as opposed to streaming a show. Streaming a show, absolutely. No decision. Even I'll be like, yep, I'll give it at least three episodes to win. You know, let, let's say they, 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 they bring the character and it's like, you know, hey... Sure. A movie? I don't know. That's a tougher call because there's and that and this is what's tough is this is maybe what's unfair is the way I approach when I hear, would you want to see a movie with this character? Well, you know, fifteen dollar ticket, you know, hour long round trip, you know, getting a sitter for the kids, you know, like that sort of thing. It's like that's where I that's the level I'm at when it's like, do you want to see a movie with this character? It's like I'm in it, sadly, I'm at the stage of my life where I'm thinking completely in practical terms like that, as opposed to sure, I'd go to the theater, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, it's it's uh, I think the thing that I would love to see with this character is and in all honesty, uh, it it would need to be her and Clint again. I think um, that would especially since. Uh, this seems to be Clint passing on the mantle to her as Hawkeye. And so uh, a, a training relationship with them as he helps her become the best version of herself as the new Hawkeye, I think would be really fun. Um, I think their chemistry together is fantastic. You know, her bouncing off the walls type of character and, you know, he's just so focused and dry and you know they did such a great job of matching I think an actress who could play off of Renner's Clint just so well and mm -hmm. so and I, I've always really liked Hailey Steinfeld I, you know she I really liked the um Transformers movie she did Bumblebee I thought it was fantastic and I did not expect that oh movie that's to be what good. she's from yeah. I haven't I haven't seen that I yeah. so okay so that I vaguely recognize her I was like why do I know her but obviously I haven't seen the movie so that's why I'm like I recognize her but I don't know yeah. what she's from okay. well and she's also the voice of uh Spider Gwen and in into the Spider Verse uh and oh so, really yeah she does a oh, lot of voice cool. work too she of course she's a singer and you know she she's ridiculously talented young woman and so um yeah i i really again this is this is the i think the show does a great job of creating a character to which i'm invested to want to see more of and if that was in a film i would not mind seeing her in that film especially if they did one with her and clint 
and adventure that they go on. Um, you know, I think there are other MCU characters that might be fun for her to be able to interact with as well. You know, I could see her and Spider-Man um, being an interesting pairing uh, together, uh, you know, so th- there, there's a lot that I feel like we could do there, which would be great. Now, the other thing I, I'm kind of interested to see how you felt about, uh, you know, we have Yelena here, and of course, we last saw her and got introduced to her in the Black Widow movie. Neither of us was a fan of that film. Do you feel like they utilized that character well here, and and did you like their storyline um, for this film, and, and do you feel like that she kind of fit within what they were trying to do here? Yeah, I do. I, I thought I thought this was a, a better approach. I thought this was um, a more successful use of the character, and again, it it it, it was a, a you know a good foil for Clint's way of that he was dealing with trauma, and it showed how trauma can can manifest itself in different ways. I mean, all of the characters they're dealing with trauma. You know, Kate's dealing with trauma, and you know, losing her father when aliens invade, and the way she deals with it is she wants to be like her hero. And the hero is dealing with his PTSD and uh, Elena is dealing with just that profound sorrow uh, of loss and, and disorientation of being in the blip, right? You know, yeah. I, I, I went in the bathroom and I come out and I've lost five years, you know, and then um, uh, uh, you have all of these, you know, uh, Maya with her dad and finding out that the person she loved straight up betrayed her. And then, you know, and at the end, finding out that she still was giving him every opportunity. I'll I'll forgive you. Let's just go. Let's just make it work. Like that's, that's an amazing arc. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I, I I think that, um, I think, I think it is a more successful use of the character. Absolutely. Yeah. I completely agree with you. And I feel like this show honestly made the character work in a way yep. that uh, the the movie didn't. And, and part of that is that I was thinking to myself again how that movie would have been helped so much if it had come right after Civil War. And that would have allowed us to have had that out there so that when we got to this, it, again, it meant more, right? So that that had been sitting there as a plot point and we just... We knew that this was going to come up. And I think the thing that also kind of frustrates me about that as well is that, you know, you have the countess at the end coming to her and saying, oh, this is the one. But then we realize, but then we learned that who hired Elena was actually Kate's mother. And so did Kate get in touch with, with what's her face, the countess and, and asked for a hit person or what? Because that that part doesn't actually feel like it makes complete sense to me, MCU wise. Not that it has any yeah. uh, bearing on whether or not I like the show or anything, but it seems like w- a, a disconnect with the larger MCU. I see exactly what you're saying. I think it's a valid point, but I think it works to the show's credit and strength, much the way that. James Gunn never seems to have felt obliged to really stick to the script in the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. 
And I think that it it would demonstrate again, you know, if you're talking about does this fit within the larger tapestry, you need to let people, you need to give them looser restrictions. That's why this right. doesn't feel like a bullet point movie. It doesn't feel like they shoehorn things. Yeah. Now, in the context of this, like taking it out of the, oh, does it make sense in the MCU sense? And then instead saying, does it make sense in the show sense? Yeah, you know, yeah, it works absolutely. in the show. That's good enough. Yeah, I agree. No, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more on that point. Uh, now, I I do have another question. Um, Just logistics of the blip related. Mm-hmm. So... Elena disappears in the bathroom and reappears in the same bathroom. So mm. if people literally just reappear where they disappeared, mm -hmm. what about all the people that were like on airplanes or ski lifts or I, that we've, I, I'm, I'm certain we've talked about this before. We have to have talked about this before. Yes, I know. Unless Tony had in his brain, they come back exactly where they were, except for if people were in places where they would die if they did that sort of thing. Like, let's say somebody rematerial. Let's say they were scuba diving. Exactly. And they rematerialize, you know, and they don't have a suit on. Um, or or there, there's no boat nearby this time. Um, or they rematerialize and another object exists within the same space right. at that yes. point. Yeah. I, I know it, it was a neat effect, and yes, practicality wise, the bl the unsnap really doesn't work from a practical sense. No, it's it's in fact a terrible idea because you'll go from a world falling apart because there aren't enough people to run things to a world that suddenly has a massive influx of demand on its services. So, in all honesty, all of these shows should be showing. Not just massive homelessness, but like complete anarchy. Like everything about right. the world should have broken down right. with the unsnap. Oh, yeah. But, you know, hey, it didn't. Yeah. I mean, it's just one of the ways in which, uh, you, you know, we talked about uh, with Eternals and, and, and we've talked about as well, um, just with the MCU in general, is that some of the ideas are too big for their own britches. Um, and, this is one of them is is when you continue after Endgame, you have to deal with this ridiculous story point um, that, mm -hmm. that just makes it very hard to do because unless you're going to go real Zack Snyder with it, um, it just becomes a joke like it has in most of what they've done specifically uh, like Spider-Man Far From Home uh, where it truly was just a, a punchline every single mm -hmm. time they talked about it. So um was there was there anything else for you uh that you either liked or disliked about this series? Yeah, I thought the I, I thought the soundtrack was really strong and I thought that the music that they chose, especially for the end credits music, was spot on. I again it gets back to uh you know I said it before, the Shane Black feel of it. Yes. All of yes. the diagenic music feels right. And it, it all works together. So music's incredibly important for something like this to work. Mm -hmm. And I think they they won with this yes. one. No, I mean, I'm glad you called that out because, um, you know, I, I think 
absolutely the whole idea of this being at Christmas time, like you said, it feels exactly uh, like a Shane Black film, which is wonderful. I love that this takes place at Christmas time because, you know, it kind of makes me want to watch it during Christmas, like add to the rotation of a thing that I pop in and, and kind of watch during the Christmas holidays. Uh, and like you said, too, all of the choices that they make with the music that they use to represent the holiday season fits every single scene. So, no, I was I was really happy with that, and I thought the music was fantastic. The soundtrack is great. Uh, I love the way even just that the uh, score utilizes Christmas songs in it. Uh, as well Mm -hmm. it's it's not just like you were talking about the diegetic music which is great um one last question i've got before we get to our our ratings uh what did you think of the larper some subplot corny but funny it was cute you know it it was cute It, it was a bit of humor could i have done without it probably but at the same time the way they functioned in the last episode, I thought was cute enough, um, and it, it it was it was a night it, it it was a funny moment when he's in the tree and he says, "Where's our backup?" and he sees them walk out and he goes, "We're all gonna die." Yeah. Like that's <laughs> that's a cute moment, and it's like that kind of made it all worth it right there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I've done LARPing, and um, I thought the jokes that they had at its expense were fun these weren't mean-spirited jokes about larping they were they were cute jokes and appropriate jokes about larping i thought yeah i i feel like the show utilizes the characters in a way that legitimizes them being there and but mm-hmm. also earns the fun that they have with them, which, you know, not every show can do. And, and I think I, I, I never came away thinking to myself, uh, like, why are we, why are we going here? You know, what are we doing? You know, why that, that just never crossed my mind with them. And mm-hmm. that's to the credit. And we've talked about this already, the writing. So no, I I'm there with you. I, I thought, that they were incredibly fun, um, and yes, they're a little bit of silly, and they do add some of the good humor. I think that we get, but on a whole, I, I just I have no issue with with them being utilized in the story. I guess the penultimate question for you, John, is what are you going to rate the series Hawkeye? I'm going to give it a very solid four out of five. This is uh, solid entertainment. It's a lot of fun. Uh, I enjoyed the journeys. There were things that I wasn't, you know, there were things I would have tightened up. There were things I would have done this way or that way if I were giving producer notes. But it's definitely a a solid four. And it could go up because I could see myself rewatching this at Christmas time and saying, ah, you know what, I'll just I'll pop this on. And the, uh, the font choice for the title is uh, spot on. Uh, and and absolutely top notch. So, if you if if you get font if you get fonts right, you especially endear endear yourself it, to me. So it is so true. It is so true. Um, I'm I'm 
exactly where you are. This is a four out of five for me, I think. In all honesty, I haven't seen a series that surpassed this for me, uh, MCU TV-wise, and I love it. Every time I watch it, I'm, I'm so happy I did, and uh, I... You know, I, I think the casting in this was was spot on. It's exactly what you needed. And I think the storyline is exactly what I want from the MCU, which is a very nice balance between serious and lightheartedness. I think this gets it perfectly, uh, never shying away from uh, the reality of the situation that the, the character's in and, you know, what they've been through. Um, and utilizing that to your full advantage to tell a great story that's character-driven. And so, yeah, I'm right there with you. This is a four out of five. So the final question is, uh, what are you going to rank, and where will you rank Hawkeye in your MCU list? Well, it's going to come in at a pretty good spot, and it's going to de- debut in a pretty nice spot. Um, so I'll go through the entire list. Uh, everybody take a deep breath here. Okay. Uh, do, do, do I have to even have to say what number one remains? It was Captain America, the Winter Soldier, followed by <laughs> Iron Man 3, then Ant-Man, then Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, then Iron Man, then Avengers Endgame, then Black Panther, then Guardians of the Galaxy, and then debuting right after that is Hawkeye. And then there's Doctor Strange, and then there's Loki, then there's Civil War, then there's Captain America, the First Avenger, Ant-Man and the Wasp, The Incredible Hulk, Avengers Infinity War, Thor, Shang-Chi, Spider-Man Homecoming, Avengers, Howard the Duck, WandaVision, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Spider-Man Far From Home, Thor the Dark World, Iron Man 2, Thor Ragnarok, Avengers Age of Ultron, Black Widow, Captain Marvel, and dead last, for now and forever, one would say eternally, Eternals. Fantastic. Uh, Of course, uh, for me, Winter Soldier is number one, Iron Man number two, Iron Man three, Civil War, Avengers Endgame, The First Avenger, Black Panther, Guardians 2, Ant-Man, Hawkeye, Doctor Strange, Shang-Chi, Incredible Hulk, Spider-Man Homecoming, Guardians of the Galaxy, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Loki, Avengers, Far From Home, Infinity War, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Thor the Dark World, Iron Man 2, Thor, Howard the Duck, Black Widow, Age of Ultron, Captain Marvel, WandaVision, Ragnarok, and of course, like you said so eloquently, eternally last, Eternals. And somewhere in that mix is what if, but I forget where. You know, I actually, um, you know what? Hold on. So I wrote this down. Uh, for me, it would be Ant-Man, what if Hawkeye. But I think Hawkeye is going to actually jump what if. So it would be Hawkeye, what if Doctor Strange. So, okay. Yeah. But uh, okay. those those were great. So Cool. But John people wanted to catch up with you and see what else you've got going on, where would they find you? Oh, look for Kessel Junkie, K-E-S-S-E-L-J-U-N-K-I-E. That's me. I'm out there. Look for me. 
Letterboxd is the safest bet. And then, of course, you can find me over on the Nerd Party Network co-hosting House Lights, which is looking at the work of directors, and then also co-hosting a show called Aggressive Negotiations, which is a Star Wars show featuring you, Matthew Rushing. That's right. I hope people will check that out. Uh, you could find me all over social media under the name MattRushing02. Of course, uh, I am here on the network and the 602 Club, as well as Literary Treks about the books and the comics of Star Trek, Warp 5 about Star Trek Enterprise, The Orb about Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Saddle Up about Strange New Worlds, which is coming back here this summer, and Star Trek Picard. We're talking about it on The Artificial Tango Season 3. We've only got a few episodes left. See how it all wraps up. And then what I'm not doing, aggressive negotiations over on the Nerd Party. You can also find a show I did called Owl Post with Ray Kaufman as we talked about every single chapter of the Harry Potter series, one chapter at a time. But thank you, as always, for joining us. Avengers! Avengers!